Three, two, one. Hi, you're listening to the Productive Ministry Podcast. I'm Tim. I'm Rocky. And we're your hosts. This is episode one, and Rocky, you wanted to start with a topic. Yeah, I wanted to talk about burnout because it's something that we all experience at some point. If you work in the church, if you are a pastor, a minister, a volunteer, whatever it is that you do, you're going to find yourself burning out, getting frustrated, and feeling completely overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, Tim, I did some research, and there's some statistics on this. If you go to pastorburnout.com. Oh, share. Please share. Yeah. So 23% of pastors have been pressured to resign at least once in their careers. You said 23 23%. 23% have been pressured to. Over one in five have been pressured to resign. Yeah. Believe that. 33% felt burned out within their first five years of ministry. I believe that. I work with a lot of young mm-hmm. yeah. kids. Yeah. 45% of pastors say that they've experienced depression and burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence from ministry. 45%. That's almost half. 50%. 7% would leave the pastorate if they had something else to go to or some other vacation that they could do, some other vocation they could do. I'm sure they would also like a vacation. Yeah, we all, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maybe if they took a vacation. Yeah. 70% don't feel like they have any close friends. 90% feel unqualified or poorly prepared for ministry. 90% work more than 50 hours a week. 94% feel under pressure to have a perfect family. And here's the big one. 1,000 500 pastors leave their ministries each month due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure every month. Those are some pretty rough statistics. I know, but the, the problem is, Tim, is that when you're when you're out there and you're in the field and you're working every day on your own, you don't realize how common burnout is. And so it's, I thought it was really important for us to start here because it's it's so common, in fact— that over half of us uh, statistically would rather go find something else to do than stay in the ministry if, if we felt qualified at all to do anything else. That's how common it is. You know, it's really funny to think about because, you know, when you're experiencing burnout, you feel really alone, but it's like, it's almost like as unifying experience as any like ministry experience could be that like here here are all these stats like you're not alone in this you're like apparently over half of us are all trying to like find some other gig yeah and it's it's not and you know it's not relegated to people who who aren't professional podcasters and bloggers (laughs) because i you know i i've certainly felt i've I've certainly felt burnout i know that you have gone through some burnout stuff oh absolutely what was it? What was it like? For, what was your burnout story? Where did it start? Okay, yeah. Well, I was uh, working as a youth minister at a decently sized church. Now, I always have to caveat. Uh, I'm in Dallas, and Dallas is the home of the uh, mall-sized mega church, and so you know, a congregation of several hundred would be like huge in other parts of the country. Is like only kind of big in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, but I'll say it was a youth ministry that I was part of. I came into it after they had just lost a, a, the previous youth ministry after, I think, just about two years or less. So yeah. they were writing that that statistic for youth ministry turnover. 
But, you know, everyone who comes into a ministry position always thinks like it's going to be different with them because I had previous ministry experience. I had a wealth of a varied experience. I had a good support group of uh, minister friends who we would get together. You were one of them. We would talk about ministry stuff. And so I was uh, ready for a challenge and um, didn't honestly think this would be too much of a challenge. A lot of the the personnel and leadership of the church had kind of changed over in, in the previous couple of years. And um, it looked like we were all on the same page about moving forward with these ministries. And it was a real exciting time. And at first, it, it, that was the experience. We were getting together. We were doing team plannings. We were trying to create synergy between our ministries, and it was really fun to work on. It was probably the largest church I had ever worked at. Uh, it was the largest team I was ever a part of, and it was really fun to have that team to get together with regularly. Right. To So you start out, actually, I remember this. You had just gotten back from the mission field, yep. right? You had just yep. gotten back from your stint in Guatemala, and you started this church, and you're excited because it provides an opportunity to work on a team. And so you going in, you have these high expectations about what it's going to be like. Yeah, and, and everyone was real open about the fact that there had been problems in the past. And I think that was part of part of the reason why I wasn't concerned. I mean, a lot of people would look at that as like red flags, red flags, red flags. And and to me, there was this kind of honesty about like, yes, there have been issues. We're aware of them. But we want to, as a team, like move past them. We want to take these ministries. Now, these forward. were just as a just to clarify. These were issues in your church, or these were issues in your youth ministry. Uh, with both, both, right? They knew that there were congregational issues. They knew that there were ministry issues. They so it was the it was the ghost of pastors past. Yes, definitely yeah. one of those situations. And and so, but because of that, like I said, new teams are coming together. Honesty about like past problems, and so. I felt I was excited, and for for many months, it was actually a real joy to work there in a way that I hadn't experienced in some of my other ministries because there was this this unity of purpose. But you know, the thing about problems when they're set into a church, right? All of the enthusiasm, you know, one could muster even as a team sometimes is, and oftentimes is not enough to like root those things out and get rid of them because deep set problems take a long time to heal. Right. So even though, and this is common ministry experience, even though the leadership has a vision and direction that they're wanting to move, a lot of times the congregation is still, it's still, you know, they have PTSD about whatever it was that happened or they, they idealize the past or they, they criminalize the past. Or, you know. well, yeah, and that's the hard thing is is that even um, even ministries that are full of of a unified vision and purpose that have clearly defined values can feel the pressure of those past issues, and and if you know, and if they're people issues, and those people are still present, um, those people are still exerting force on the ministries. Currently, you know, they haven't, you haven't, if you haven't gotten rooted out, you know, individuals that might be a problem, they're still going to be there. And so one of the things that happens, and, and every ministry does this, is over time you make choices, right? Right. Not every battle is going to be fought and you, you decide, like, what are we going to tolerate now so that we can work on the overarching 
problem in the long run or accomplish the overarching goal in the long run. Right. You know, you don't even ever, you don't even always look at it in terms of problems that need to be fixed. Well, you know, ministry is always about what is the overarching goal. And so it's really easy to like, to see these problems, not as problems, but as just like ministry things, right. you know, and, and, and as time went on though, you make these choices and the leadership makes certain choices. And, and, and what happened in, in my experience is that at first there was this real attitude of let's come in, let's, you know, throw everything open and say, what can we make this be? What can we do? Nothing is off the table as an idea. And when we would do our team planning meeting and then as time went on though, these things, this, this external force started closing more and more and more of those kinds of philosophical opportunities. Right. Right. And so what I found myself is that over the course of, uh, of being there for, you know, 12 months that I, I think it was about being there a year when I started to, to feel the pressure of these things is that the work environment I had began to shift substantially. In what way? Well, and so, uh, like I said, there was, you know, we would get together and we'd have these, like, as a team, these big visions for, like, what do we want in the congregation? What do we want to do with these ministries? What, do, what, what are we trying to accomplish? But, you know, there are other people involved in the church than just the church leadership, and they have their own desires and agendas right. and what have you. Well, one of the things that I come to find out is that there were a lot of things in the youth ministry that existed as untouchable items that uh, it wasn't just a matter of determining whether or not we should do something. It was an issue of this was going to happen and it had to be better than what had happened in the past because that was the expectation. And so, so when you start this ministry, you feel like you have all of this freedom and there's new energy and there's new ideas and, and you're allowed to move forward with new vision and new direction. And a year in, you begin to realize that actually what they're looking for is someone to do exactly what had been done, only to do it better, even though it obviously wasn't working because you were there. You were the, they had to hire someone yeah, else. Because I was, the, you know, and I think that's something I don't think they realize until the spoiler alert, I ultimately end up leaving. You know, and and that's the thing is that for me, there was a couple of issues that started feeding into my burnout. Okay. So I've been there about a year and a half now. And so being there a year, I started to feel pretty comfortable about saying like, no, let's direct this thing. Let's be intentional. And so when those things would come up, I would say, well, maybe we shouldn't do this, or maybe we should examine how we're doing this or change the way we're doing this. And having, I felt free to have those conversations. And a lot of it is because I felt like my, you know, ministry team, my, my, my boss and the other ministry leaders of the church had back. Um, I felt like that, that my vision for the ministry was a good vision and and was one about spiritual growth and development as well as growing the tenants of the ministry. And so I felt confident in what I was doing and I felt confident in my support structure. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, as soon as I started entering into conflict, I mean, conflict wears on you, you know, anyways, that that conflict wasn't always having the same, I didn't always have the same support behind me that I thought I was going to have. And often I wasn't getting any headway with, 
trying to change things or make things better or, you know, try to serve the, the ministry group, the makeup of the ministry group in another way. And so I found myself feeling more and more kind of disenfranchised as a ministry leader. And, and I, and as over time, I, I felt more and more to myself, like the expectation was for me to replicate, 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 right. as opposed to innovate, innovate, innovate. Right. right. And so that was, was tiresome because nobody wants to come into a job and be told, I need you to do the job exactly like the old guy did. Right. Um, and that's all we need from you. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a person. I'm a fully realized individual. Right. I have, at the very least, my own likes and dislikes. And not to mention that youth ministry is one of those ministries where there is so much turnover. Right. So, like, the ministry, as a, you know, for, in terms of student interest, is just this constant churning. While there were many people in the ministry who remembered past youth ministers or past trips, there was actually a significant number of people who didn't. Right. And there was this kind of superficial force like imprinting upon them that things had to be that way. And so so that was, you know, troublesome. And then one of the things I began to discover is that the expectations of my job started surprisingly shifting in a way that that I wasn't aware was going to be happening. Instead of in the interview time, everyone gets interviewed for a position and, and you all speak very highly about, oh, this is a position that's about spiritual growth, right. et cetera, et cetera. I started having more and more conversations about what were the numbers of this as compared to past events like it? What were, you know, the number of, of students who are coming to whatever, you know, activities, what were the happiness of these students as they've been saying to other people or whatever that that became like a difficult thing to navigate because you sit in a room and you say well okay just because people are, didn't like the event or didn't show up to the event doesn't mean that what we did was wrong right you know it doesn't mean that what we did wasn't good or purposeful and that's that's a very nuanced conversation right and then, so that was one element that was happening, and that was that was hard, and I was trying to navigate that. But there was also, an, if we want to call that the external forces, there was the internal force that I was wrestling with. One of the things that I had not come to realize about myself, and I only came to realize it later on, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, is that I had defined myself, my role, my purpose by a set of metrics that were inaccurate and, and were only going to lead to like my internal dissatisfaction with myself. Right. And what I mean by that is specifically among the many things I had tied my identity to, um, I thought of myself as a minister, as a person who works at a church and as a person who does ministry, who is successful. So if there were kids that didn't show up, or if an event wouldn't go as well as I had hoped it would go, there was a part of me that questioned my own value. Wow, yeah. And that was difficult because I had external forces that were questioning my value in terms of what I was doing, and I had internal forces that was questioning my values and what I was doing in a different way. And I started to you know, feel really hopeless in it. 
I felt more and more like my time at the church just was not going to happen because there was just more clashes, more clashes about replication, replication, replication of past stuff. And you need, you know, more time, more time, more time spent putting on events and stuff like that. And then I, I, if I was going to leave this position, if, if who or what I thought of as ministry was incompatible with what they wanted from their ministry, right. which meant I was, I, there was just no reason that I should stay. What did that mean for me as a person who understood myself as a, a minister, which meant I worked at a church? Yeah. And so that was kind of an existential issue that I had that sent me, like I said, into this kind of hopeless, detached, depressive state. And I mean, I, I was exhibiting all the designs, the signs of, of that kind of thing. I, I was like, I, I'm a stress eater. I was putting on weight, yeah. you know, I was, um, I was just eating, you know, I I would eat like several lunches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, my, <laughs> you know, I, there was a, a, a milkshake place by the church and I, like, several days to stop and get like a big milkshake on the way home right. and i just you know like self-medicate self-medicate with food and that wasn't which is just making you more unhealthy yeah just making me more unhealthy like i'm not going to the gym and and you, suddenly you don't feel good about yourself you're already feeling bad about like your job performance and mm-hmm. then so that negativity starts to seep out into other aspects of your life. Right. right. You know, and, and so it just downward spiral, downward spiral. Right. And uh, I mean, that was uh, among the toughest times in my life. So for you, the cause of your burnout really boils down to a couple of things. One, unrealized expectations or undefined expectations or the incredible changing expectations, which happens a lot in ministry. Oh, yeah. So you have you have these expectations, which are it's this eternal struggle that we we all have at some point in time where we have to balance what is spiritual, like the spiritual things to see spirits. We want ultimately to see people coming to faith in Christ. We want to see uh, students and adults and families growing in faith and all of those things. But how do you measure success? Well, in this world, we have to measure it by numbers. And, you know, because we have a corporate culture here, especially in the U.S., everything has to be quantifiable. So it's all about attendance. It's all about giving. It's all about, job, like, satisfaction. How did you feel? And, you know, churches even send surveys to find those things out. But the disconnect a lot of places, and I see this where you worked, is that the leadership had a different standard than the congregation. So you're working with the congregation. They're saying, well, this is how so-and-so did such and such, and this was their results. And because I'm with the students all the time, because I live with little Timmy, I know that he was happier at this event than he was at this other event. Is, is this kind of like what's going on? And they're going straight to your boss. Yeah, I mean, and that was and that was exactly the problem is that they had something in their head for what they wanted, right? And and it was effectively like a time, a period of time where things were good in this ministry, right? And because they're just people, 
they they thought that what was so good was programming i guess like a certain kind of personality right you know before i'm leaving they started dictating all kinds of like lifestyle things right like what like, well like i needed to change my phone number so that it was a local area code you know, I had I had a cell phone that I had had for years. It it made them uncomfortable. The idea that my phone number wasn't local, you know, the the idea of like how, what high school was I? How much time was I spending at the high school, doing lunches with kids, or did I have a a season pass to the football team? And how many games was I going to in, in a year? And so they began micromanaging you. Yeah, and right. in, in, in a way to kind of cultivate you know the kind of person i would be i even remember uh, i had i had gotten married uh during my first year there i even remember there was a trip that was uh, i had been told that one of the um adults one of the parents was going to plan this trip and i'm at a phase of detachment now that i'm just whatever right. you know i didn't want to do this trip i'm it's it's being forced on me what does it matter if it's being forced on me that someone else is going to plan it all the all the better, right? But there was even a moment in that where I was told, okay, so your wife can't come on this trip. Wow. And I, I said, I, I'm sorry. He goes, well, you're a different person when your wife's around or you don't interact. I forget what the exact reason. You don't interact with the kids in the same way when your wife's around or whatever. Wow. She can't come because it will affect the way you interact with the kids. And I'm thinking, is this because like the youth ministers and the past were single and I'm not a single youth minister? Like what's going on? And I, you know, this was one of those things where I was like, I buddy, I'm sorry. I know you're planning this trip, but if I'm going to be spending a week out of town and we need sponsors for a trip, my wife's going to come. It's This is a no brainer on a number of levels, but yeah, so it was that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, it's, it's a, it's, and it's a weird experience to have that. Right kind of exertion on who you are this is to me this is i mean i mean you're listening you talk i just keep thinking to myself this is a prime example of where there is no vision people perish when vision isn't properly communicated between leader and congregation people are going to cling to what they know automatically so they start they have their expectations and they start prodding you and expecting you to meet their expectations which either are reasonable or unreasonable but might not be what your senior pastor has in mind for your job, right? You know, they hire you, the leadership, a group of people sit in a room and they hire you independent of the people you're going to be working with. And they have different goals and different ideas about what it is that you're supposed to do that have not necessarily been communicated uh, to the people that you will be working with in the field. Uh, And then everything begins to just unravel because suddenly who is your boss? Who is it that you're answering to? Ultimately, we say, oh, well, it's your senior pastor or it's your elder board. But we really know that the congregation and, and what they're happy about has a lot of has a lot of sway. Well, and, yeah. and and ultimately, for me, it literally became the congregation. The very last meeting I ever sat. Well, not the very last one of the very one of the final meetings I sat in as we marched through this was literally a meeting with a bunch of the. I guess parent leaders or what have you uh, with kids in the youth ministry who had been involved with youth ministry over the years. And I was told that I was going to sit and take notes and they were going to go around and tell me of the kinds of things I needed oh to change. Oh my goodness. 
That's insane. Uh, yeah, well, and, and that was the moment where I said, no, this, this is done. And, and you know, but, but that's the thing, right, is that choices get made and choices get made, and over time, who does my boss become? So we're just going to take turns throwing rocks at you. Yeah. Everybody, everybody give a little Timmy a rock. He gets to throw rocks too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that, you know, that a room full of people saying, you're not good enough and you're terrible at that, man. I'm sorry. Well, you know, yeah. and, and, and like I said, there, there were two elements to this. Those were the external factors that were working on me right. in terms of burnout. And that was a rough working environment, yeah. right? And it's something that, honestly, even in spite of all the red flags that someone could have witnessed and, you know, mm-hmm. paid attention to in the beginning, I would have never imagined myself 20 months later sitting in a room full of people just getting to say, these are the things I want you to change about yourself. Mm-hmm. That, that was like quite the adventure. But at the same time, it was coupled with this internal issue right. that I was having to discover about myself, about how I defined who I was and how I understood my value. Right. Uh, which is to say that it was misplaced in thinking I was only valuable if I was working for a church and my I was being successful in terms of like numbers and what have you with the position. And I think that that's closer to my experiences. Actually, my experience is all internal troubles. I think that all churches have their difficulties, certainly. But when you couple that with things that have existed forever, it can really begin to explode. So when we think about, I've, I've burned out a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, we were talking about this before we started recording. Why don't you share your experience? Cause we, the comment I made was, it's really interesting that we're going to be talking about this and we have two different kinds of stories. different kinds of stories. You know, I, I worked, I worked in my first ministry. It's a great church. Uh, I still love those people. I will all, they will always have my heart. And it was just an incredible, an incredible ministry experience. And truthfully, I probably could have stayed there forever and been 100% completely content and had solid ministry, solid ministry experiences, except for one thing, Tim, and that's that I'm never satisfied. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So it's like when you have a personality type that I have, it's really difficult uh, I'm, you know, I'm high strung. I have, I have high expectations, ultimate a type personality. I'm an ideas person. I'm creative. And I feel like just because I'm in the room, you should at least listen to my opinion, if not 100% agree with it. And, and those, you know, those are, those are personality traits that are really a powder keg uh, in ministry that, that really set you up for failure. Remember getting to the end of my ministry and there wasn't, it wasn't that there was necessarily anything wrong, but what was wrong was that the reality didn't match up with my expectations. So there's this, uh, there's this idea that Rocky puts in his head about how it's supposed to be. How is, how is his youth group supposed to look? Um, how is Rocky, and I'm speaking in first person, I know I'm not using words like the Lord's youth group. I'm perfectly aware of that. Please, <laughs> please don't leave a comment about that. I'm. So, um, I, you know, what, what was, what was Rocky's expectation? How was his church supposed to look? How was the Sunday morning supposed to go? How is worship supposed to go on Sunday nights? How, um, 
how is the how are the elders supposed to treat me and how is my senior pastor supposed to work with me so you have this idealized version of church in your head i have an idealized version of everything in my head all the time tim not just church but everything <laughs> so you know i'm a i'm a dreamer i'm a i'm a visionary and it, and, and that's uh and that's it and so whenever there is this this expectation and the reality doesn't meet up and there's this deficit there i start to feel really anxious and I begin trying to figure out what is wrong and what I can change. The problem is, is that I can't change everything. And so I have this, uh, I've had anxiety since I was 16. And when everything is out of, out of my control, when there are things that are out of my control, and, I, and as a young pastor, I didn't realize this about myself. But when things are out of my control, I begin to try and compensate. So I begin to experiment and I begin to try and... Uh, Look for ways to ease that anxiety. And if I can't, then I start to implode a little bit and I start to have panic. And, it, and it's this really volatile situation. And so by the time, you know, I'm three years into my first ministry, um, my first full-time ministry, this panic is an everyday issue for me. And it's easy for me because I have these ridiculous expectations. It's easy for me to say, oh, well, this is uh, my senior pastor's fault, or this is my congregation's fault, or this is uh, the parent's fault for this, or this is, uh, this is the, the secretary who did this, or, or whatever, because I have these unreasonable standards for everybody right. going in my head. There's never a point where I can say, I can say, well, this is happening because they're human beings that I work with um, and they have their own free will and they're doing the best that they can. And there are things that I, I learned later that I was expecting of my church that I should have been expecting from God, like that were God's place in my life, right? Not, not my church's place in my life. So I was, I was expecting, you know, my church to be a source of, of comfort and peace for me. And when it was just a group of sinners worshiping together uh, in a place, that devastated me. As a man now, Tim, I realize God is my source of comfort and peace. There's not a senior pastor who can do that for me, but that's a, that's a personal relationship with God. That's, that's fruit of the Spirit that's giving us through the Lord, you know. But when I'm in that situation, I'm, I'm this young pastor, it's easy for me to say, they are failing me because I don't experience those things on a regular basis. And so I, I, I do wonderful ministry there for as long as I can. And it's wonderful. And everybody's happy. And we were not, nobody was mad at me. Um, it was, it was, it was beautiful. I remember that time, actually, yeah. you, you had such a a great youth group. You had kids. <laughs> they were a lot of fun. We were so like we were the picture of the perfect youth group. It was so bad that I would go to camp and, and other youth pastors would make fun of us because we were just the idea. And yeah, it was ridiculous. The great kids it was such good a good time of ministry. But because of things that I was struggling with, like my internal struggles, it was never something that I could appreciate. So I leave there. And I, I spiraled him like I'm out of ministry for a year because I don't want to jump back in and I don't know what I want to do. So I go on this, I go on this crazy uh, journey of, of self-discovery because I need to walk away from ministry because it was just 
too perfect, I guess. I don't know what my problem was. So for a little bit, I'm in, I'm in Georgia helping with a project there. And then I'm in Tennessee helping with a project there. And then I'm in South Dakota living on an Indian reservation for a little bit. Building, just crazy. Yeah. So you like eat, prayed your love. Yeah, you pray, yeah. loved your way through. <laughs> and then ultimately, right, I end up, I end up working. Out. I'm, I'm out of savings. I come to Dallas. Uh, there's nothing for me here. So I moved back to San Antonio and I'm working at Walmart. I'm working in there. I'm working in their tire and lube for months, just doing anything but what I what I ultimately know that I'm called to do. And I'm just waiting to jump back in. And I hadn't ruined my reputation. There was no reason for me to, to be out of ministry that long. So what ultimately made you jump back in? Well, I think that uh, I calmed down. Right. I was able to I, I was able to get ahead of the panic, but the panic was still there. Okay. You know, but I was able to get ahead of it for a little bit. So you, you got involved in another ministry. I did. I did. I got involved in another great ministry. And how did how did that go? It was a great church. Difficult. It was difficult. Every church has its problems. And and for me it's always easy to blame, you know, churches and their natural progression and things like that. I had I had great elders, I had great leaders, I had I had uh, great support. They were not perfect, but they were great. And I, and I recognize that. But one year in, two years in, three years in, four years in, I'm starting to experience the same things, right? And I'm, uh, there's this deficit of expectation. Um, and I'm not, I'm not satisfied. And I'm burning out in my work. And it's becoming obvious. I'm starting to feel like distant from my work. I'm unmotivated. I'm starting to feel that anxiety, like panic becomes an everyday occurrence for me. And ultimately it, I have to step away from that ministry too through a series of circumstances. But while I'm there, I realize, wait a second, this is the second time this completely different set of people. This is the second time this is this exact same thing is happening to me. And then in a moment of clarity, through wonderful people who confront Rocky and are very honest with him, you realize, you know, maybe the problem is Rocky. If this keeps happening everywhere Rocky goes, because I had experienced something like it in college too, if, if Rocky keeps burning out because of this lack of expectation, uh, the, these, these needs being met that he perceives that he needs, maybe the problem is not the church. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe there's there are... Things in my personality that I struggle to balance out. See, and I find this really interesting. And that's one of the things I love about your story is that you're not trying to say that there weren't problems. Right. Or that, you know, you're not trying to claim that that there weren't things that got in your crawl or, you know, bugged you about your work situations at any one place. But you're recognizing that the really those were all unique to their own experience. They right. were not the contributing factor to right. what was your ultimate issue yeah, when every you're, time. When you're, when you're not healthy, like I wasn't healthy, then the stress, normal stress uh, is exacerbated. It's, it's 10 times worse than it, than it should be or could be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so every, everything becomes uh, an exercise in emotion every day. So how did you get help? Well, uh, you know, I was having, I was having constant anxiety 
and I started developing obsessive behaviors and because I was having panic attacks, I was going to the doctor a lot. So I was like, I would get a bump on the back of my neck and it'd be like, oh, I have a brain tumor or I'm having a heart attack or, and everybody right now who's listening, who struggles with anxiety or panic attacks is shaking their head up and down right now. You understand, <laughs> you know, and so I'm going to the doctor all the time and I'm constantly seeing uh, my doctor and my doctor says, well, you know, you have anxiety. You should go talk to someone. So I, I, I went and saw a therapist. When I saw this, when I saw this therapist, he was able to identify something that I realized that I had struggled with my entire life. I had my first panic attack when I was 15 or 16 years old, Tim. I just didn't know what that's, that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't realize that this is what I was experiencing and that it would be something that would define a lot of the choices that I'd made in my life later on. So I had to seek treatment in order to be healthy. I had to seek treatment for a real physical thing that was happening to me, uh, this anxiety. So how did you get help? You know, it, this is funny because while we had two similar uh, or two different kinds of experience, we had two similar uh, kinds of resolution situations. I also found myself in those moments uh, going to see a therapist or a counselor, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it, it's funny because my wife has, um, she has a degree in psychology. Her undergrad is in psychology. She's not a practicing psychologist or anything like that. But uh, she's familiar with having from having worked in the medical field and, and various things like that with some of the codes. And she remembers looking at the receipt on uh one of the counseling sessions and she goes oh i know what this code is and i go what is that she goes uh we used to have to file this code it's uh it's just for like general like stress that you know person like issues or whatever not for any kind of like psychological disorder and that was the reality of my situation that for me he helped me to walk through what i was feeling he helped me to understand the kind of situation I was in and helped me to, to step back from all of that and get a picture of where all the problems were. Because, you know, when I was in the thick of it, ultimately I'm, I'm still trying to reconcile what's happening with my job with like being a good minister and persevering through hard times. Right. right. And I, and it was hard to, to separate out that like, this is just a bad environment thing from the, Sometimes ministry is hard stuff. Right. And and it was in talking through that that I came to realize both that, no, this was this was a bad situation in terms of work environment, but also a bad situation in terms of the way that I understood myself. And I've already commented a couple of times, it was through that that I both realized, number one, I can't define myself based on how many students showed up to some disciple now or whatever I planned, right? that that is not a healthy metric for a person, nor is it a real way that a minister should define themselves. Right. And so in that avenue, in the internal issue that I had, he helped me to come to understand that, that, that who I am as a minister or who I, what I think of myself as a minister is not tied directly to the job that I'm doing mm -hmm. or the events that I'm putting on. Right. And he helped me to see that the situation I was in 
needed some real workplace resolution, which ultimately probably was going to have to result in my just leaving workplace. Right. Because spiritual things aside, environmental factors are environmental factors. Correct. And, you, and you've got to work through those things pragmatically. And so after doing, you know, several months of sessions with him, we kind of came to this moment of, yeah. of decision. So, so, and for me, the, the, the process goes like having to deal with one issue at a time because I have these high expectations, right? So one is dealing with the expectations issue, which is a thing that happens when people are a type personality. Uh, we tend to be high strung. We tend to have high expectations of ourselves and other people, but you have to learn how to balance your gifts, right? I, I know that I, I didn't have good boundaries uh, because of these high expectations and because I'm a single man, I can uh, I can justify working for hours on anything. So I, I was working too much. I would let people put the, all these expectations on me. I was taking on too many responsibilities. And ultimately, I wasn't getting enough sleep. Sleep was not something that, that happened. So part of that process has to be learning good sleep hygiene, dealing with sleep disorder stuff. And that was a whole a whole part of it. So you know, it wasn't just one thing, right? It wasn't just treat the anxiety, right? That was part of it. But then it was also the physical health stuff. I wasn't getting enough sleep. Turns out I had sleep apnea and I had to be treated for that. So better sleep helped me feel better, being more active, uh, building more relationships with friends and making making that a time. Because one of the things that my burnout did was I would go to church, I would work, 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 and I would be around people all day. And then I would isolate, I would just isolate myself, you know? And so someone had to say, Rocky, you can't do that. It doesn't matter if you feel like hanging out with people or not, you were created for community and it's difficult and you have to force yourself to do it, but you do it. And so through all of those things adding up, I began to feel better and my relationship with God got better. My relationship with my friends got better. My relationship with myself got better my anxiety decreases, decreases. It's always there haunting me. It's always there under the surface, but it's manageable now. So I'm not going to the hospital every five minutes because I think I have a tumor behind my eye or something (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it is. You know, I I think the the last question that we would ask each other in this is, um, and you you started to begin to answer that is what, what's different now for you? And, um, it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is that what's different now from you is that you understand this is an issue, a persistent issue, and there are like specific steps that you have to take at times to manage it. Right. And and to make sure that you keep your eye on it to some degree in conjunction with all the other things that you're doing so that you're able to tell the difference between anxiety and other issues. Absolutely. And just being honest about things and putting things in their proper place. I mean, so much has changed for me. I'm a lot calmer. Someone even actually told me at one point in time, being around me was like a a peaceful experience. And they come to my, my apartment when I have people over, they're like, Oh, well, this is a, this is a very like, calm environment but it's completely intentional you work on your relationship with god and you work on your relationship with yourself 
through God and your life begins to produce that fruit. People, people really begin to recognize that and you begin to benefit from that. But I had to tag out. It was not something I could do on my own. What's incredible, Tim, is like we look at these stats here. Lots of pastors are leaving within their first five years of ministry. The help exists. We just have to have enough trust and a faith to to go and get it to ask for it and then like we have to humble ourselves enough yeah i guess to say this is a normal pastoral experience and the help is out there if we if we just go get it i can continue to do ministry yes if i'm if i'm willing to go get help i and i think that's like i said earlier the hardest thing is trying to separate what are the ministry's hard stuff from what is that this is something I need help with stuff. And, you know, I, I know for me, what's, what's different now. I ended up leaving that church, as I said earlier, and I have, I don't work vocationally at a church right now, at least not full time. Over the last several years, I've done part-time gigs. So there was a time I came and did stuff with you for, for worship. And that was a, a lot of fun. My my wife and I got involved in a local church, and we got involved in their young adult ministry, and we've been involved in their worship ministry. Because part of what I came to understand, what's different now from then, is I I had the sense of who I was as a as a minister. Meant I had to work for a church. Like if I wasn't making all of my income from going to the office at a church every day, I wasn't a minister. And that created like a certain set of parameters for how I had to live my life that created a lot of. Oh yeah. There's a lot of stigma about that too, isn't there? Exactly. And so as part of my transition or my counseling time, you know, I came to understand that like, I don't have to be working at a church to do ministry. Right. Uh, I can, I can be plugged in somewhere and, and there is a sense in which, you know, my wife and I, we both have, Bible college degrees. <laughs> I have, we both have ministry leading experience. I have obviously an extensive amount of time of working vocationally in the church. We are like the ideal, you know, parishioners to any congregation. Right. You know, we walk in and we say, yes, we'd like to get involved. We like to volunteer at times. And people are like, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You've heard our prayers. You know, and that is a different kind of role that we've actually found ourselves really enjoying. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't been doing stuff. Obviously, we founded Productive Ministry. You know, father of that is Rumble Media. And, we, you know, you and I have been working on things that are, maybe ministry adjacent or tangential right. to, to the ministry world. And I view my role in that and my ability to do part-time stuff or volunteer stuff with churches as. Yep. But that's your story, man. As, 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 yeah. It's just like a huge benefit to that while I do other entrepreneurial things. And, and it's been a good fit for me at this time in life. And I, I like to tell people, cause you know, they say, well, you were in ministry for a long time. Would you ever go back? And I said, sure. If the right, opportunity is presented to me if god calls me to to a situation whether it's in our local church that we're involved in now or it's a different church elsewhere i would love to take that again i love working for churches i don't have to work for so my identity is no longer tied to whether or not i'm on staff at a church somewhere. Yeah, man, and that's like the grace in it all that's like god's working in you 
that's what he's been teaching you through this whole process, right? Yes, and, and it's given me so much more freedom to do ministry than when I thought of myself as when I'm a minister and I'm a youth minister and these are the kinds of things I have to do. This is the kind of job I have to find. And, and that's been a big difference. There's still a lot of stuff that I have to manage too. There are, I was up till 3 a.m. last night, you know. <laughs> um, there are a lot of nights where I force myself to just go to bed and not stay up and work. Um, there's a, a lot of times where now I'm, I'm forcing myself to say no to a project than, than taking it on because uh, I can't overload myself. I need to manage my stress. I need to manage my commitment. I need to manage my sleep because all of those things are stress factors that can lead to burnout, even if you're not in the ministry. Even if you're doing a thing you love like this, they still can cause burnout. Yeah. <laughs> Even when it's your own thing and you're in charge. So those are the kinds of things I, I still do to make sure that I don't burn myself out of, of, of this. So, so what, what are you going to say? There's a young pastor who is like you. You know, you're speaking to yourself, but it's somebody else who's actually working out there who, who, who God has brought this podcast to and they're listening to it right now. And this is an opportunity. What is your, what would you tell them? Because like, there's got to be, thousands of pastors right now who know exactly what it is that you're talking about, who have sat around that table and who have heard, you know, this is what you're doing wrong. And um, I think I, the thing I would say to them is, you know, I mean, I, I can only draw from my own experience but to say that uh, you are not a failure if you leave a church. Right. That just because you're leaving a ministry does not mean that you have failed as a minister, um, there are legitimate situations to which you find yourselves in an environment that is just not conducive to healthy working. And it's important, though, that you distinguish those from the hard times. The only way that we do this is by creating a support structure. Right. For me, that involved, you know, other ministers. It involved formal counseling. I, I couldn't go through that situation alone if I if I didn't have a support structure in place, if I hadn't cultivated even a more a broader support structure than than I even started with through that situation. I mean, heck, there is a probably if we believe in the infinite universe theory, a, a timeline unto which there is a young man who changes his phone number and buys a and you know, cuts, I'm sure, cuts his hair a certain way and dresses a certain way and, right. and you know, who, who lives his life unto whatever end that was. And, and that's not a good scenario either. So, right. you know, the hardest thing is when you doing it alone. Yeah. And, 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 and if you find yourself. Yeah. Ministry is a team sport. Yeah. Ministry is a team sport. Yeah. Tattoo that on your forehead. Well, maybe not. I mean, probably your church wouldn't like that. But um, ministry is a team sport, sport. And so my advice is make sure that you make sure that you have a support structure, but also understand that sometimes things end and you got to look for the next thing. Yeah. What would you impart upon those who are those eight type personalities out there walking around having panic attack? Yeah, yeah. First thing I would say is you need to calm down, buddy. They're listening. They're listening to this podcast right now as they've just gotten out of the doctor's office. Driving to the next appointment, listening to this, telling Siri to take notes. So, which is what I would be doing. Uh, you know, I would say the first thing is, and I say this to everyone. Everyone, you know, 
it was God who said he would meet all your needs. It was God who promised that, you know, it wasn't your church. It wasn't your wife. It wasn't your friends. It wasn't, you know, they weren't the ones who created you. Uh, they're not the ones who said uh, that they, that they know what it is that you need and, and that they will give that to you and provide that to you. So uh, put everything in its proper place uh, and making, make sure that the expectations that you have for the people around you are, are reasonable for human beings and not expectations that um, that are promises from God, you know, because they will never they will never meet up to that. And once you give you you know once you give everybody around you to be permission to be less than God, uh, that, that's a that's a big break. Everybody's laughing, but you know it's true. You do it, and then and then I would say I would say if you if you have an anxiety disorder or whatever kind of disorder, that is not something that you're just going to get over. You have to get help. You know, it's all about, it's all about support and, and all of those things. And the tools exist. It's 2016 as we are recording this. It is okay to ask for help if you need it. And the help is there. It, it exists. It is out there and you can grow and you can be healthy you know, anxiety might be part of your story. The Lord might heal you from it completely. The Lord can do whatever he wants, but it might be like, you know, a thorn in your side and something that you just have to learn to live with, but you can learn everything that you need. So just, uh, just ask for help. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling run down, whatever it is, don't think that, that, that this is something that you can fix on your own. Tap out, uh, tag someone else in, uh, get some other people involved and get the help that you need for sure. Well, I'm going to wrap it up by saying this has been the Productive Ministry Podcast. We hope that you will like and subscribe to the podcast. You know, please rate it on iTunes uh, if they're good ratings, we hope. And uh, comments and what have you, uh, all of those things help us out in getting this podcast more visible to others. We hope it has been a blessing to you and a benefit to you. Rocky, you have a final word? No. <laughs> and with that, we will shut it down. Have a productive week.